Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hello there and welcome to the Times Business Podcast. It's where we look ahead to what's likely to be making news and shaping markets in the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. This week, that means we'll be talking Tesco, Debenhams, a dash of Burberry and a sprinkling of Beyonce. Yes, that's right. She's getting it together with Topshop. We'll also take a look at America's corporate crackdown and find out just what it means. And Christine Lagarde. She's soon going to be welcoming 188 member nations to the International Monetary Fund in Washington for the spring meeting. Or is it soon to be 189? There will be another member joining uh, the IMF next week, so I will not announce yet, but we have another member joining us. Not a huge one. It's not Cuba, for those of you who try to speculate. That maybe will come in due course. Well, the international woman of mystery there. I'm joined by Richard Fletcher, business editor of The Times, Deirdre Hipwell, retail correspondent, and Philip Aldrich, economics editor of The Times. Hello. Can I make an early plea that we talk more about Beyonce, because she's definitely more interested than any of those other subjects you've got on that list? <laughs> okay, there, Richard. I talk about being put off my stroke. I don't know where I'm, I'm definitely, Yeah, exactly. That's the point. Sorry. Beyonce, well, your wish will be granted in a minute, Richard. But first of all, Deirdre, Tesco, the serious business, how's it looking? Um, it's looking quite good for Tesco at the moment. I mean, this is all relative, of course. It's, it's a tough market, but I think things are starting to look up for Tesco. In January, they surprised the market with a better-than-expected Q3. Earlier this week, Kantar showed that their sales decline is slowing, and that's the fourth consecutive period where Tesco has been stopping the rot and slowing the decline, which means they are slowly bringing their customers back to their shops. And Dave Lewis seems to be getting a handle on the three targets which he set out, which is basically to restore their competitiveness in the UK and to restore the balance sheet and to rebuild consumer trust in Tesco. So that's everything from making sure you have clean stores, improved staff morale, cutting costs, and obviously condensing their range of products. So I think things are starting to look better, but this has to be put in the context of a very tough market and Tesco is still a long way away from being completely on the fairway again and also it still seems to be quite a way away from paying dividends. A few months ago, did we were being told by all the experts that a, a, a rights issue was inevitable and we were going to, that's now off the table, yeah, I mean it's still got massive debts but most people think that they can uh, they can address that with their own measures rather than having to tap shareholders for more cash. Is that right? Uh, yeah, I think that's right. Obviously, the sale of their South Korean arm, which went for a better than higher sum than people thought, has helped bolster their balance sheet. 
Um, and I think at least for now, um, there's certainly no need to do a rights issue. And there was always a view that until all of the various investigations around their um, accounting snafu, for want of a better word, last year, until that's all resolved, you wouldn't really want to go back to shareholders and ask them to put their hands in their pockets. And do we expect further disposals? Obviously, they've got a big business still in Thailand, haven't they? And they've obviously got quite a big business in, in Eastern Europe. But were they going to try and hold on to those? Or do you think, they're, do you think, think they are for sale at the right I, price? I think for now, well, I think with any company, um, if somebody comes along with an amazing offer, they'll always consider it. But I think for now, the big strategic sales are not we're not going to see anything happening in the this year i don't think uh, there might be some bits around the end the edges it's been rumored that they might be selling their giraffe chain of restaurants i mean that in the grand scheme of tesco is tiny but you could argue that having a brand which you're not really focused on as a management distraction when your core focus should be on the uk business i think that is the main issue for tesco and and people sometimes forget their overseas business is quite parts of it are extremely successful and are trading better than in the uk so i think it, it does help tesco i mean you mentioned the overseas of course that's key to burberry isn't it looking at, at that end of the market what about it deirdre there's always a lot of interest in in burberry and the, the focus is always what the chinese consumer is doing because that is a very important demographic for the Burberry brand. In particular, what the city will be looking at is Chinese consumer demand in Hong Kong, Macau, and also what the Chinese consumer is doing when it travels abroad. Because the one issue that Burberry has is it's not it doesn't have as much presence in Europe. And at the moment, that's where a lot of the Chinese consumers have been shopping. So it's underexposed in, in Europe. And there's some concerns that it's less, um, it has less presence in Japan, where a lot of Chinese tourists are now travelling. I think we should remind everybody that when we a year ago, Burberry shares were changing hands for nineteen pounds, and today they're, cha- they're change, ch- changing hands for for twelve pounds. And uh, you know, this is a chief executive, and as ever, I have to alarm my colleagues for the facts and figures. But this is a retailer who's paid himself millions of pounds, uh, outraged shareholders with his uh, with his uh, benefits package, has combined this two titles of chief executive and chief creative officer, whatever that means, and and then the share price has plunged. And you know, I, he I think he faces a I think he faces some quite serious questions about where he's taking Burberry and uh, and and where the brand's going. I think that's true there has always been some unease about the fact that he is both CEO and chief creative designer. I mean, that's a huge job for anyone to do. And also people want to make sure that while running the company, that the design, which is so important to a luxury fashion house, is not failing. To be fair, though, to Burberry, his recent uh, designs have been met, have been met quite favorably. And for example, his backpack has become one of their best-selling hits, the Burberry backpack. Um, and let's not forget, Burberry is also a key <laughs> employer in in the UK, and they've, they've just committed to invest £50 million in building a new state-of-the-art facility in Leeds. I, th- I think we should ban being fair on this podcast. No being fair. Oh, there's, there's no rules on this podcast, as you well know. Debenhams, just briefly, what do you think, Richard? 
Um, Debenhams actually, I used to cover uh, a, a long time ago, and it was obviously a, a retailer that was um, uh, left in a certain state by private equity, i.e., a mess. And I'm not sure it's ever actually recovered. It, it was t- it was brought back to the market by private equity, and it's had a, a tough time ever since. And the problem is, it's kind of eroded its position on the market, and it's and it's with what retailers describe as price architecture, uh, and we know as sort of going on sale too often, and people just won't buy from you full price. And it is struggling, and and it's in quite a difficult place but but it but it there are some signs that, that it is sort of getting back on track well it seems like a good point to take a short break but then we'll be back talking about president obama's last hurrah on wall street and what's top of the agenda for george osborne in washington what about beyonce the times business podcast is sponsored by vodafone's ready business britain 2016 has been branded the year of the sme this is your year time for your business to stand out are you ready Vodafone's Ready Business Britain, in association with The Times and Sunday Times, has all the advice, insight and analysis your business needs to make this your year. Get ready. Visit readybusinessbritain.co.uk. Welcome back. OK, we tried hard, Richard. What about Beyonce? What's she going to be doing? Well, uh, she's launched a, a range with Sir Philip Green's Top Shop. I mean, Philip Green has this amazing decade-long uh, relationship with stars, some successful, some not. Uh, 1981, not many people will remember this, but I do. Well, actually, I remember it from reading about it in books because I was 10 at the time. But in 1981, he launched the Joan Collins Jeans range, which didn't last as long as the star because it went bust after a year. Obviously, one of his more famous ties up was, uh, tie-ups was with Kate Moss in 2007. I was there in the store where they pulled the curtains back and there she was lying in the window. Uh, and that all came out of a charity auction that Philip was at in uh, in Annabelle's of all place and he bid £60,000 to kiss Kate Moss uh, and then ceded the opportunity uh, to Jemima Khan and a couple of weeks later they met up and Kate told him that she wanted to launch a fashion range and, and that was created and that was hugely successful and put Topshop back on the map. So Philip, who's had a, a, a rough couple of months, to put it mildly, is no doubt hoping that Beyonce will work the same magic that Kate did. Is that right, Deirdre? Yep, that's absolutely right. And as Richard said, I'm sure Sir Philip will enjoy having, for a nanosecond at least, the pressure off him, um, because obviously he's been caught up in this whole debate about the BHS pension fund. But what he's launching next week is Ivy Park, with uh, Beyonce, which is basically a combination of streetwear and sportswear, which is the big new thing in fashion retailing. So it's all about bodysuits, leggings, crop tops. It's about looking fashionable when you're sweating. Don't look at me when you say that. I, 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 dear, oh dear, no one's sweating I, through I, exercise. <laughs> that's like not likely to happen. Yes, that's just not going to happen. Okay, but look, President Obama's shortly going to be leaving the White House, Richard, and twice. We've seen in the space of a couple of days, government agencies, first of all, the, 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 the allergen Pfizer bid, uh, being blocked uh, because of so-called inversion, and then the Department of Justice taking action against Halliburton, a big employer in the UK oil industry, and Baker Hughes Tools. I mean, it must have hit investors pretty hard in business confidence, hasn't it, in the market? Yeah, I mean, 2015 was a dream year to be an investment banker. There were $46 trillion worth of deals, I think I'm right in saying, uh, and many of them were these mega deals, you know, deals we hadn't ever seen the size of before you know suddenly you know it had to have a uh, at least two noughts at the end of it so 2015 was a dream year 2016 is turning into a nightmare you've got that you've got obviously got the crackdown on inversion deals which have been hugely controversial for for a couple of years in in the US and and uh, Obama does seem to be taking action and you're also seeing regulators take 
action against Deal. So we've seen that with Halliburton. I think there's been 16 interventions so far this year. We're seeing it here as well. We've seen it with the 302 deal, uh, which Europe has taken a good look at. So for, for investment bankers, these mega deals, many of them are turning sour as regulators intervene. I completely agree. The only issue I'd say was, I think it was 4.3 trillion. As usual, deals, not 46 trillion. (laughs) That would have been an amazing year. That is is absolutely right. The dot is is missing there. As usual, Dean is better with the numbers than I am. I'm just the business editor. Do you think, though, that in this case, it's going to actually harm British business or is it going to make no difference? Because it seems that time and time again, although there are other deals, it does seem to involve either British or Irish companies. It's quite close to home, Richard. Well, I'm of the view, and and Dean will disagree with me here because she's the M&A correspondent, that most M&A deals destroy value and therefore actually if a few of them don't happen, that's probably good for us in the long run. Deirdre, who relies on all the investment bankers to tell her about things, will probably come to the defence of M&A deals now. No, I I think history shows that many M&A deals have been disastrous, but I think the the bigger issue here is not whether M&A deals are right. I think it's the issue that the US faces is that they have a completely un... Um, competitive tax regime at the moment. It's very complicated and that is why all of these US companies have been looking to do these tax inversion deals and I think that is a real issue for whoever ultimately wins this US election will have to resolve um, this issue because American companies are now at a big disadvantage to particularly their European rivals in lower tax jurisdictions. Yeah, they have. US companies have got stacks of money trapped overseas and uh, they can't they can't take it back home without incurring huge uh, tax burden and there's been um, discussions for years about whether to change the tax rules over there to encourage them to bring back uh, so to allow them to bring back their funds without any punitive restrictions and um, and that's and, and that still hasn't been resolved um, and until it is resolved then you you're, you're going to find them trying to innovate and find tax aversion deals with something to do with their money because they obviously have an issue this is about about paying such a large amount of tax so there, there is sort of talk about some kind of amnesty or some kind of temporary re- reduction in the in the tax rate um, that that will be imposed I mean, if Donald, if Donald Trump wins the election, he could sort of repatriate it to build the Mexican wall, couldn't he, or some sort of other scheme? I think he'd have uh, quite a bit left over. Anyway, he's <laughs> going to get the Mexicans to pay for that. He's promised everyone, hasn't he? Do you know, I wish I had introduced rules earlier. <laughs> Finally, Philip, the IMF is going to hold its spring meeting in Washington, D.C. next week, so you'll be able to find out firsthand what's all happening with this inversion. And Christine Lagarde, this is a clip of her looking ahead. Some of us will want to focus on good news. We are not in the middle of an acute crisis. We are actually growing, and that is good news indeed. The not-so-good news is that that recovery is too weak, too fragile, and its durability is at risk. At risk, Philip, is it? Yeah, the the IMF are not going to have good news for us next week. They're going to downgrade global growth for the second time in six months and there's going to be warnings about uh, a sort of failure of the of the western so-called advanced nations to pick up the growth baton from the emerging markets which are obviously slowing and she and the other imf people are going to clearly point the finger at governments and and leaders of of countries in in europe and and elsewhere at, at just not having the balls to push through difficult policies, uh, reforms, uh, uh, labour market reforms, make make tough decisions. And they've had a long time to do it. The central banks have been giving them breathing space uh, and they're still not 
still not really delivering. So, so talk us through how this works, Simon, because you go every year, uh, uses up a huge amount of my travel budget, uh, almost 50%, I think, or something yeah, ridiculous. Right. Uh, but uh, you go every year. How does it work? What happens? You get to see the Chancellor as well, don't you? Don't you, take him out, don't you all take him out for dinner, or is that sort of Chatham House rules? Am I, am I not allowed to say that? We, we, we get to have a little uh, a private... Uh, so all the economics journalists, travelling economics journalists, get to have a, a private chat with... Um, with the Chancellor, which is uh, which is usually just fairly uh, free form and a bit of fun, and really, you know it can be just just a just a normal dinner with 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 uh, and with Richard's the picking up the bill. That's yeah, yeah. Last year we did. We ended up going to the 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 Treasury wanted to go to one of the best restaurants in the world, which happened because we were in Lima, and so that was a big bill. Yeah, I, mean, I remember it well. But so apart yeah. from uh, whining and dining with the uh, Chancellor of the Exchequer, what else do you do? What else happens at this meet? So you, Christine Lagarde stands up and says a few words. What else happens at this at, 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 during the weekend? There's there's lots of back. Basically, the whole meeting is for the 188 members to to come together and sort out some of the sort of global problems because the whole principle of the IMF is that it's 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 trying to smooth the global financial system, uh, get everyone to work to get to work together to create a better outcomes for everyone. Christine Lagarde was talking uh, about uh, greater cooperation, and she is a synchronised swimmer. We should remember, so she knows a thing or two about everybody working in unison. But uh, I don't think it's as easy as just jumping in a pool and sticking your legs in the air because, um, you know, you've got people, you've got countries like Mexico uh, and uh, Brazil against China um, uh, and, and then, you know, some of the Eurozone countries, all of whom have, co- have conflicting requirements and conflicting um, uh, 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 needs to, to boost growth. But the, the IMF will come up with a whole range of policy suggestions. There will be these backroom uh, chats where they'll try to come to get, come up with proposals to, to get the economy going again and with the exception of 2009 in the in the wake of the financial crisis there's never been you know really substantial progress but you know, there there has been a bit of talk this time that because you know the world is going slipping back into a sort of low growth uh, phase that that there might there might be a bit more crisis inducement to for, for uh, leaders to actually work together again well if not it's something to discuss over dinner and let's face it Richard's picking up the bill that's it for now. But remember, you can follow Philip online and in the paper while he's covering the IMF meeting, as well as reading all the business news and comment wherever you are. If you're a Time subscriber, please do sign up for our daily morning and lunchtime emails. And if you don't have a subscription, there's always that £1 offer. You'll find it by going to thetimes.co.uk. And if you want to hear us weekly, you can subscribe through iTunes. My thanks to Philip Aldrich, Richard Fletcher and Deirdre Hipwell. They are on Twitter, so please do follow them. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for downloading. To discover more, head to thetimes.co.uk. The Times Business Podcast is sponsored by Vodafone's Ready Business Britain. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.